you start to question your value. You start to question your self-worth. Like the more money you got, the more successful you are, and most people really do buy into that. But really, I just needed a break. What I love is helping people. I'm Julie Bauke, and welcome to The Evolved Career, a podcast where we help you determine what truly does matter most to you and how it can have a profound impact on your life. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Christine Carlson, New York Times bestselling author and world-renowned speaker. She is passionate about spreading her message of returning from grief and waking up to life with more joy and gratitude and certainly not taking life too seriously. Chris's life mission expands upon the phenomenal success that she and her late husband, Dr. Richard Carlson, had in their Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series. She continues his legacy of peaceful and mindful living through her own best-selling books, including the most recent, From Heartbreak to Wholeness, The Hero's Journey to Joy, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Moms, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff in Love, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Women, An Hour to Live, An Hour to Love, The True Story of the Best Gift Ever, and her memoir, Heart Broken Open. Over the past two decades, Chris and Richard have sold more than 30 million books worldwide. She's been featured on national radio and television broadcasts, including The Today Show, Good Morning America, The View, and The Oprah Winfrey Show. Chris's particular areas of expertise are focused on change, transition, and reinvention, and waking up to life with more mindfulness, gratitude, and joy. Wow, that's a that's a mouthful, and that is quite a resume, Chris. Welcome. Thanks, Julie. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. Your story... Your story is great. I cannot wait to share it. Now, I th- in, on my podcast, I love to help my listeners learn from people who've been to the place that they aspire to guide us to, and you certainly have. Um, many of our listeners are no doubt familiar with the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series. Those five simple words are about as wise and timeless as any in our language. Although I want to hear all about you, I have to start with this question. I'm curious, how did Richard, or you and Richard, initially come up with the concept of don't sweat the small stuff? Well, that's a great question. Um, You know, I like to say that don't sweat the small stuff was an overnight success story um, for Richard and I. It took 10 years and 10 books on Richard's part to come up with that book. (laughs) Wow. So, um, you know, he had been writing books on happiness. He was very much a pioneer in the field of psychology because we're talking about 30 years ago, um, he was writing about happiness. He was one of the very first psychologists to really um, embark on that journey of happiness and to say, you know, it's okay to want to be happy and here's how you do it. And so, like I said, it was his 10th book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and it was actually called something different. It was going to be called a a more peaceful, calmer you. And um, his agent, Patty Brightman, pulled the first chapter title out of the book and said, don't sweat the small stuff should be the title of this book. And thank goodness yeah. for Patty Brightman. I mean, did she earn her money on that yeah. move or what? Yes, she did. <laughs> Those five words, I mean, are so powerful. They're as powerful today as they've ever been. And you're right. Back then, I mean, he must have run into, or you guys must have run into a lot of obstacles, even getting people to take the concept Seriously. Now, t- you're right. Today, it's everywhere. But back then, it was, you know, th- that was novel. 
You know, the thing is, Julie, the world was facing um, a huge technological shift at that time. So actually, even though it was his 10th book, um, the way he wrote that book and the short, small chapters and how accessible the wisdom from each chapter is and the practice of life, the way people practice life after they read that book, it really helped them shift in their lives. And I think that um, because of the title and because of the timing of that title and the relevance to that big shift in technology, people really gravitated toward it very easily at that time. Now, that is not to say that 10 years of work um, in his books prior to that weren't an uphill climb because, yes, he was talking about principles of happiness like thoughts, moods, feelings, separate realities present moment living long before it was um, popular to do so. And, and it used to be like he would stand in front of a crowd or we would stand in front of a crowd and people would just look at us like when we'd say, you know, you are the thinker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you would look at us like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's where, you know, you're right. Today, these principles of happiness and these principles are widespread and very understood but it's because of the pioneering work that Richard did in his book series um, that they are. I mean, he really paved the way for a lot of great leaders and a lot of great psychologists to um, to share their great work with the world. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about you. So I noticed that as I was looking at all of the books, all of the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff books and the calendars and everything that's out there, your name first appeared as a co-author I, from from what I could see in 2001, um, a book yeah. that you published in 2001. All I'm sure, though, you were instrumental in some way in every book prior to 2001. What was it that caused you or allowed you to step up and claim your role? Well, uh, that's a great story. So, you know, you're right. I would have been considered Richard's great muse and his life coach and, you know, his great partner. Um prior to 2001. And he actually invited me to write Don't Sweat the Small Stuff in Love with him. You know, he was one of the very early um, authors to brand a series of books. He was right alongside Chicken Soup for the Soul. They were doing the yeah. same thing at the same right. time. So um, so I, I said, you know, oh my gosh, how fun, you know, knowing that he would pretty much be writing most of that book. I wrote like 10 chapters and he wrote the rest of it while we had a great time as a couple really discussing every chapter and marketing the book. He really did write the majority of that work. And then after that, the publisher was so um, happy that there were two writers in the household because, of course, his editor chimed into the publisher, the, the main people at Hyperion at the time, and said, Chris can really write. She, she can. She can really write. So they, they asked Richard to ask me, if I would write Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Women. And it was very interesting because I sat there across from him and he was really excited to tell me. He thought I would be absolutely thrilled. And I pretty much had the response of, wow, really? Do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and he basically said, no, you don't have to. But if you don't, another woman will have to write Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Women. And so, of course, that was a very smart yeah. thing on his part to say, because I, I was absolutely not going to um, want that to happen. And while I reticently stepped in, what was really beautiful about that, Julie, is that Richard knew something about me 
at that time that I didn't. Mm -hmm. And that was that I am a natural born writer. And when I sat down to really work on that book, I was like an otter taking to water. It was so beautiful and easy and natural for me to write. And then I had him right alongside me, coaching me um, on how to write the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff book series. And also... Um, write about things that we had studied together in this very um, new form of psychology that we had learned together. And so, yeah, it was, it was just a beautiful experience. And that's how I entered the author world. I love that because I, I think women, much more so than men, are more likely to react that way when asked to do something new or different or step up or step out. Oh, no. Me? Are you kidding Who'd listen to me? I'm not qualified. Do I have to? I think, you know, even if we don't say it out loud, I think that goes on between our ears. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I certainly felt that way. You know, I felt like, wow, who am I to write this book? I said that. I said, who am I to write that book? I'm not a psychologist. And Richard said, yeah, but Chris, you live this stuff. This is different. This is a new, this is a new way to write. You live this stuff. You're the perfect woman to write this book because you're my wife. And, you know, and I did feel that way. And I think you're right, Julie. I think that is more normal for women to be reticent to step onto, um, you know, a stage or a platform that, that they don't feel accomplished enough to do so. And I certainly did not um, because I, you know, had been a mom. I was being a mom and his wife for five years. I had, my career had been on the back burner and it, it was a big leap up to go from um, co-writing a book with him and co-marketing it to standing on the national platform that he had birthed um, for me to stand there alone without him. And, and it was very scary. And I have to tell you, I had to move through a tremendous amount of fear to make it to that platform. That's why we all need to surround ourselves with people who will kick us in the seat of the pants, just like he did you, to say, no, you can do this, and here's why. You know, I think that's that's part of, of forming our circles of, of friends and, and colleagues that, that know us at our, our highest and best use and are going to challenge us. And you had one right under your roof, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, he really was an amazing yes. um, partner, amazing person. And, yeah. and I have to say, I was a really amazing partner to him, too, for you know, he was the first to say that he he wouldn't be doing what he was doing without me uh, along at his side. And so, yeah, we had a, just an amazing yeah. marriage. I was very, very blessed. Well, you know, your book, um, From Heartbreak to Wholeness, uh, absolutely, I must say, everybody listening needs to get this book. Um, it was a fabulous book. And what I love about it is it applies in so many areas of our lives. We generally think of heartbreak as someone dying, a divorce, you know, a loss like that. But every day we have so many losses in our lives. And, you know, in my world, you know, I see, I work with people who lose jobs and careers and I see that that devastates them to the point that it's hard for them to get back up and, and keep moving. And the concepts in From Heartbreak to Wholeness, I think can be utilized in every area of our lives. And so, you know, for me, I, I absolutely learned so much from that book when I went through some personal things for myself, but I have continued to recommend it for people who've lost something significant to them or someone significant to them. And um, one of the things that occurred to me when I was reading this is, you know, as a culture, we love happiness and good feelings. 
And everything in our culture is about finding ways to live happy, which is great. But when it comes to loss and despair, most of the advice is just ways to get happy again. And, and your book is the best I've read on not, on not dealing with it, but stepping into it, welcoming it, embracing it with an open heart and mind, and being open to the lessons. I mean, my mm-hmm. experience, you know, those emotions denied do not disappear. They just fester. Mm-hmm. And um, I learned the hard way. I know it's also easier said than done. So thank you for writing that book. And um, I think it was 2016 it came out. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay. Richard had been gone for 10 years by then. What made that the right time to write the book? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I think it was actually, it was maybe 2000. 18. Okay. Was it? Okay. Yeah, it was, it was 2018, but, um, you know, I had been writing about and speaking about, um, how to be resilient and how to step into life after loss for so many years. And I had written the heartbroken open, a memoir through loss to self-discovery book, which was a very early book for me to write in my grieving process. And, you know, I, I, it's so funny because so many of my friends said, oh, no, don't write another book in the grief genre. And I said, <laughs> well, this is really going to be in the grief genre. This is going to be in the life genre. But of course, as it was categorized, it, it ended up in more the life, the life and loss category. But, you know, I, I just felt really called, deeply called to write about everything in a way that would lead people on a transformational journey. And I had been working with so many um, especially women in that had gone through big change and big transition in my what now program. And I, you know, I just thought, you know what, this is what the book that's calling me. And I think, you know, I now have a program called birthing your book, um, with Deborah Evans, it's called bookdoulas.com. And I, in that program, talk a lot about with people that they should write the book that is really calling to their heart and soul, you know, and not, and, you know, not always write a book for profit, but write a book because it's the one that is there, you know, it, it wants to be birthed so bad you can't even stop it. And, you know, that's, that's why I wrote that book is because I knew that I knew something about what it meant to be on a total transformational journey. And I wanted to put the depth of my wisdom into one book. And that book is basically the culmination of 10 years of experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some of the quotes in your book, I'm highlighting the heck out of it and and all these brilliant thoughts I want to share. And, you know, in the blink of an eye, I went from an envied woman to a woman who was pitied. December 2006. Walk us through that day. Yeah. So on December um, 13th, 2006, you know, that day started, started out like an ordinary day for me, like it does for everyone. You know, I, I was in my car, I was finishing up some Christmas shopping and my husband had gone on a trip to New York to promote his latest book on a, on a book tour. And so I um, pulled my car into a mall parking space and, and the phone rang and I looked down and, and it was an area code, um, of New York. And I thought, Oh, that's weird. You know, Richard must be calling me to let me know he's landed safely. And when I picked up that call, um, there was a nurse and a doctor on the phone and they identified themselves. They identified me. They asked me if I was um, in a car and I said, yes. And they said, are you parked? And I said, I am. And 
And, and they began to fire a lot of questions at me. And it, it really put me on that sense of alarm, like, who, who the heck are these people? Why are they asking me all these questions? And then they said, um, are, you, uh, are you Mrs. Carlson? And I said, yes. And they said, well, we have um, Dr. or Mr. Carlson with us here at the hospital. And I was like, well, that's impossible because he was on a flight. And they said, yes something happened on that flight. And I was just suddenly like, well, what do you mean? How, wh 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 how is he? Is he all right? And, and they just immediately said, no, I'm sorry to inform you, Mrs. Carlson, that Mr. Carlson has expired. And, you know, I mean, that word is actually widely used. Um, yeah, is it? You no, know, it is. But it, it's such a hard word, you know, to hear over the telephone from complete strangers and also to wrap your head around you know, here I am, 43 years old. My husband was 45, and I'm sitting in my car, and, and I hear that word, and I'm like, expired. Like, what are you talking about, expired? I mean, I really started yelling, and I really thought these people had called me to play a horrible joke on me. And I, I just, and then I, I asked them when, and they said an hour, about an hour and a half ago, and then I just knew, and I just... I mean, I've, I've never left my body like I did in that moment. I just, I completely left my body. Mm. Wow. One of the quotes in your book, the queen of all, Oprah said to you, Chris, do you think Richard's death has given you the gift of feeling your life? What was your response? Yeah, you know, I remember that mo moment so poignantly as um, a very pivot turn for me. And I remember... Um, putting my hand on my heart. I was holding my heart because it, it was seriously, I felt like there was still a hole in it and it was in so much pain. And I remember looking at her and just nodding and saying, yes. But it was later that I really processed that as being the largest pivot that I would make onto my hero's journey, you know, because I realized that this is why this has happened. And I, you know, I often say to people, you know, there's that saying, everything happens for a reason. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason, but we find the reason why things happen because we have to make sense of it in our own lives in order to move forward. And so certainly in that moment, she brought something home to me that I was getting awfully close to realizing but that this was the greatest gift that Richard could have given me among many of, of in our lives together. But in his death, he gave me the gift of really feeling truly alive and really open, you know, really awakened. You said you looked back and said, you know, I, I wasn't living my life fully alive before, you know, before he passed away. What a, what a wake up call that must have been or what a, what a, what a thought that must have been. Yeah, well, I think that's what happens to people when they get crashing, life-shattering news. They realize that there's just things that, that come into perspective about the way you are living because you can never return. You will never return to the life that you had after going through a life-shattering loss of any kind. And, and that's kind of one of the biggest struggles people go through is they want to go back. They want to go backwards to the life they had, and there's no possible way that's ever going to happen. The only the only possibility is, is stepping forward and you're not moving on, but you are moving forward. And that's the only possibility because that's what time does. Time doesn't stand still for us. We have to move forward in time and we will no matter what. 
Yes. And, and, um, it'd be a great, um, bow we could tie up and put on this, on this package. If we could say that from that moment on, everything was puppies and sunshine. Um, Oh, geez. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But 11 months after Richard's death, you were plunged into what I would say is a hellacious seven year odyssey that tested you in all kinds of new ways. Yes, I really was. Um, well, I, I dealt with, um, a real troll, a real menace, um, to my family, um, to my life. And, um, and it, it was awful. It was, it was horrific. Um, we were being stalked by somebody that I had, uh, met on an airplane and had a conversation with in a very open state of mind and open place in my life, just 11 months after Richard had died. And, and he turned out to be a very, a very serial, um, stalker kind of personality type and, and, you know, just very emotionally damaging to my family and to my brands, to myself personally. Um, and we had to deal with that for a very long time, but I, I like to say that the way I processed that was the healthiest way I possibly could. And that was, again, I go to the principle that life happens for us, not to us. And so you can be a victim and certainly people will target you as I might've been targeted as a victim but I would not, um, I would not relent to being a victim. I just decided that the best way to to look at this was to ask the question: How did this, as awful as it was, as much as I didn't invite it and didn't want it, how did this serve me? And I think that's the best we can do sometimes when we're dealing with something really horrific. You know, we we have to find that place of of how did this um, move me forward in my life? How can I forgive this um, behavior of somebody and let go of it so that it doesn't impact me in a damaging way. And then how can I look at what did this do for me? And that particular incident really brought me into my hero's journey because that was the dragon. He was the obstacle that I faced in, in stepping into my brand and stepping into um, being more the uh, male and female role in my family. You know, I had to be the great protector, which is very much the hero. I had to protect my girls. And, and so in that way, you know, that situation served me well. Now, would I have liked it different? Absolutely. It was horrific. It was, I don't even want to talk about it any, in any more detail, but yeah, yeah. it was terrible. So. <laughs> well, seven years, I mean, seven years of anything, you know, and, and uh, it is, will change you. Um, in ways that, like you say, when you can look back, you can look in the rearview mirror and say, you know, I'm a better person in all of these ways before I went through that. But there has to be easier ways I could have learned that same lesson, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, you would think so. But the divine, I always say, doesn't come in a box of chocolates, you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> divine has different ideas for different people, you know? And for me, I've I've lived a very, you know, lived a very big life. And so it wouldn't, it didn't surprise me, I mean, on some level that um, that this archetypal male, um, you know, kind of bullying, kind of trying to overpower the feminine, um, didn't come out in this way in my life. So it, it was, it, it, it is what it was. And I've put it past me. I've put it behind me. And, you know, I don't look back to that time because it served me, you know, and, yes. and I don't, I don't invite it. I don't look back and, and it, you know, and I will say it served me. What's the biggest difference between you um, pre that odyssey and post that odyssey. What's, what do you think is the biggest difference in how you, how you live your life or approach the world? 
you know, I've had a lot of that among many lessons of discernment, I would call it, um, learning to be discerning, um, learning to approach my world um, with a lot more protectiveness mm-hmm. um, and, it, you know, and in integrating more masculine qualities. I was an incredibly feminine woman and still am, but I had lived a life of being um, traditionally feminine by a man who really held the great protector role and the great provider role and, and a lot of roles in my life. And so after his death, I had to find, you know, had to find those aspects in myself and integrate those so that I am a much more whole and complete woman today because of these things, because of picking up the reins of the brand, because of dealing with um, obstacles along the way, because of learning how to be discerning um, in all sorts of areas of my life from, you know, how to invest our money, my money to how to um, live my life, who to trust, um, what information does somebody need? What 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 do they not need? You know, just just things like that. I'm just far more discerning. Sure, sure, and that's uh, yeah, and that's you know, in these times, um, that can only serve you well. And I'm sure your girls learn that as well through the process. They, they've always been a lot more discerning, actually. Okay. Than I <laughs> well, it's good to have them looking out. They for don't you they don't trust people as readily as I do. Yeah, yeah, I can see why. Um, so you know, one of the things that that you talked about that Richard asked you one time, and it, I think it sounded like it was the basis for one of the, one of your collaborations was the concept of an hour to live and an hour to love. Um, I, I, I think that to me that, that really struck me as I was doing, looking at all of your materials. And I think in this world we're in right now, when we're all you know going through uh, the coronavirus um, pandemic, I think we're all, um, our heads are spinning in terms of, you know, what really does matter. And um, I'm hoping that we're all going to come out of this in a new normal. But what's the concept of an hour to live, an hour to love? Well, it was um, a gift that Richard gave me on our 18th wedding anniversary. And he answered the question posed by Stephen Levine um, from his book, A Year to Live. If you had one hour to live and could make one phone call, who would it be to and why are you waiting? And Richard um, sat down one day and answered that question and wrote me this incredible 37-page love letter, um, not only to me, but to our girls. And, you know, it's so funny because when he gave it to me, I I felt really awkward because all I had was a card. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, but then again, he was a writer. So it was so beautiful, though. And I, I just remember it was three years prior to his death that he wrote this. And I remember asking him, like, did you go to the doctor or something? Did you get uh, some news? Yeah. You know? And he, he said, no, no, I, I just I felt compelled to write this. And he had told me at one point that he had hoped that someday it would be shared with the world um, as a beautiful tribute to our love. And so after he, you know, after he um, died so suddenly, uh, one of our book agents, um, our international book agent at the time said, um, you had to really um, publish that back to him as a tribute, a national tribute. And so I was like, oh my God, I have to. So I did. And it was really weird because I had this very, very strong, strong feeling. Um, in fact, I could see it. I had this vision of sitting with Oprah on her couch. And I wasn't, it wasn't like, a, like I wanted it, but I knew that Richard 
if he could have had his pick about where to have a national tribute, it would have been on Oprah. And so it was so amazing how that all transpired. I mean, it was just incredible because we sort of slipped in and the lower rungs of the production line, which is what you do on Oprah, like, you know, our, that little manuscript wasn't even out yet. And it went into their um, production people and some basic production person on the low level um, read it and thought it fit really well with um, Mitch Albom's book um, that was coming out as a movie called, oh gosh. The Tuesdays with Maury? No, it was called A Year to oh. Live, I think. Or oh, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know what you're talking about. And, yeah. and Oprah was producing that. And we, um, he said, oh my God, this is perfect for this to go with this movie. And then they, they were going to bring other people on to answer that question. Um, if you, you know, if you could um, spend a day, one more day, for one more day was what the movie was called. If you could spend a day with your loved one, what would you do? Well, then they, they realized because, you know, Richard was such a prominent um, author in Oprah's life and they realized who we were. And so they brought us on and we ended up having um, the, a total tribute on that um, mm. broadcast. It was wow. the 20 minutes devoted to Richard. So it was beautiful. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, um, when, you, when you think back to the Chris of the late 90s, when you're a young mother and you know, literally your job was, you know, raising your children, supporting Richard. Um, that Chris wouldn't even recognize the Chris today. No, I don't think Richard would recognize the Chris today. I was going to ask he, you that he, next. What would Richard he say would really about love her? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, he's so happy. You know, he's so proud. He is. I, yes. I know. He's very much a part of my, um, you know, he's very, he's very much in my field. Um, even today, 13 years later, I, I don't wake up a day where I don't think about him. You know, and, and the, the work truly is timeless. And so if you're listening to this and you're of the generation where you didn't get a chance to experience Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, I am certain that every word in his books are as relevant as they were back then. Um, so I highly recommend that you pick one up. So are you ready for two questions, one deep and one shallow? Sure. All right. We'll do the shallow one first. If your family and friends heard that you've been arrested for something, what would they assume it had been for? <laughs> oh, my goodness. What would it be for? Wow. Oh, my God. I don't even know. Let me <laughs> think about that. What first comes to mind is that I can sometimes say something uncensored. Um, so I, I was thinking, oh, probably some sort of lewd, lewd conduct. <laughs> <laughs> lewd and lascivious conduct in public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's what I was thinking. I mean, it's certainly, I can't really think of anything. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I think that would probably be it. You know, it would be just to say something really um, outlandish or outrageous at the wrong event or something. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a great question. though. <laughs> All right. And our final question, what breaks your heart? Oh my gosh. Um, I think what really breaks my heart is to think about um, a couple of things. I, I, you know, all the charity work that I do is, is in regards to kids and children and always has been about how to make their lives better. And I, I get really heartbroken when I think of during this time of COVID-19 that while I inspire people to really make the most of this time and empower them through this time, that there are children 
that are in alcoholic homes and that are experiencing um, a real negative time period. You know, some children are in poverty. They don't have the meals that they get at school. And, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that really breaks my heart is that when children suffer unnecessarily, that, that's the thing that, yes. I, I, that, that really hits my heart at home. Fantastic. Well, is there anything I've not asked you that um, you feel like you want to share to anybody listening, looking for some extra hope and inspiration? Yeah, I'd just like to say that it's never too late to um, have a new dream that, you know, we all go through. I've never met a 50 year old somebody, somebody, you know, whether they're male or female that haven't gone through something big. And Yet it's never too late to spawn a new dream and to remember that the circumstances of life don't make or break you, but they re reveal who you are. They reveal you and they reveal, um, can reveal everything about you to yourself and that the journey of self-awareness is, is one that is powerful. And yeah, just to know that you can stand at the precipice of change and you can dare to ask yourself to dream a new dream. And you, you, you will at some point. Yes. The choice, as you say, between bitter and better. Chris, how can we learn more? Well, first of all, I would like to invite your listeners um, to go ahead and go to from heartbreak to wholeness.com and they can download the imagery, um, guided imagery meditations that go with the book. Um, so that's the first thing. And then if they want to find out more about me and my podcast, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff, they can go to christinecarlson.com and that's Christine with a K. Thanks, Julie. Fantastic. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking time today to join us and um, give our listeners um, a dose of much needed inspiration. As I said at the beginning, the best people to guide us um, and to advise us on our journey are people who've already walked that journey. And you certainly have. You've had more than your share. Um, so keep it up. Um, you are certainly an inspiration to me, and I have a feeling you'll be um, an inspiration to a whole new generation of folks. Thank you so much, Julie. This has been wonderful. Great speaking with you and your listeners. If you enjoyed meeting the Evolved Careerist on today's episode, well, we've got a lot more lined up for you. Subscribe, tell your friends, rate us and write a review. And of course, follow us on social media. But if you're interested in learning more about how you can evolve your career, you can contact us through theevolvedcareer.com or thebaukegroup.com. And that's B-A-U-K-E. Do you know somebody who'd be a great guest, who has a great career story to tell? Or do you think you qualify? then email me. My email address is in the podcast description. Until next time, here's to your career happiness.